You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Well, good morning. I'm really happy to be here. I want to uh, take this time to thank Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb for having me this morning, me and my beautiful wife. She's in the front row with me this morning. Raise your hand. This is Katie. Give it up for her. Um, I'm just really happy to be here. And uh, can we give it up for uh, the band this morning? Didn't they do a wonderful job leading us in worship? Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, your uh, lovely worship leader, uh, Anna, who is over here on the keys and singing, that is my sister. And uh, there's four of us kids, and uh, two out of the four got uh, singing ability, and the other two didn't. And uh, uh, Pastor Deb was able to be tortured all morning with me singing right next to her. But I really am happy to be here. I'm excited to be sharing with you about the Beatitudes. When, when Pastor Matt called me and asked if I would share while he was in Africa, of course, I was, I was elated. But then he told me the, uh, the topic, and I was even more excited. I love, uh, I love these chapters, and I love uh, the, the beginning of this, this sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be diving into it a little bit this morning, and I hope you enjoy. Uh, it's going to be just an awesome, awesome time. Uh, so if, you're, uh, if you have a Bible, you can get it out this morning. Uh, we're going to be turning, uh, as you probably know, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 5. Uh, but before we do, would you join me and uh, just have a word of prayer as we begin. God, we thank you for your presence here, and, and we ask that you would continue your work as, as we sing and as we pour our lives and our hearts out, that you would take what we've given you, that you would knit together the broken pieces of our life and that you would cause us to be whole and you would cause us to be made new. God, we ask for true spiritual transformation to take place right here as we dive into your word. We ask that you would speak to us above and beyond my own ability, that you would get right to our hearts, convicting us and drawing us closer to you. God, we just thank you for this moment and this time. Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So if you open your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter number five, um, what we begin to see is we, we begin to see Jesus start this thing that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there's some very interesting characteristics uh, of this sermon that he gives. And it's an opportunity for us to begin to see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry the things that he feels are most important for us to know. And actually, as you look through all of the teachings of Jesus, I kind of I did a little bit of a study and I looked through like a, a lot of them, and, and almost every teaching that Jesus gives after the Sermon on the Mount, you can find some kind of a nugget within that sermon that he touched on even before some of those other teachings. And so Jesus begins to lay out this import, these important uh, these important things and these, these characteristics of what it's going to take to be a follower of Christ. And I know that Pastor Matt talked a little bit about what the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is, is last week, but I want to just talk a little bit about as we look at the Beatitudes, as we look at the, the blessed are those, as we begin to look at another one this morning, it's good for us to know as we begin that there are, that the Beatitudes are kind of split up Four and four. We, we know that there's eight Beatitudes and maybe another one if you'd, if you'd count, maybe you could maybe count nine. But we have four of them as we begin. And as they appear on the surface, if you would read them just as they are on the surface, every one of these Beatitudes, every one of these characteristics, they hold 
value in and of themselves as you read them in the English language on the surface. But this morning, we're going to dive into some things and really see what Jesus, the, the picture that Jesus is painting underneath the surface. And so we split up into four and four, and the first Excuse me, the first four Beatitudes, Jesus lays out the principles that help form us as followers of Christ. They help us understand how we can follow him. And so, as we begin to set these out, we have, if you'll, so if you'll turn to Matthew, Matthew 5, I'm going to read the first four. And we're going to look at them just for a second because I think they help us paint a, a bigger picture of what Jesus is really saying. Or Matthew 5, excuse me. Uh, so in, in Matthew 5 and verse number 2, it says that he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Pastor Matt talked a lot about that last week. What a wonderful sermon. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is this process that, it, that, it, that allows us to understand who Jesus is and to understand how we can take that step towards salvation. And so you might know and you might remember these four as these first four Beatitudes, as the four R's, and I have them listed for us this morning. The first one is recognition. Recognition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have complete dependence on God. That recognition that you know that there is, you, you, you know that you can't do it on your own. You know that you've tried to do it, but you just can't. I like to think of it like this. When I'm, when I'm talking to people who, uh, who don't have faith or who maybe have some questions about faith and we're talking about recognition, you know, all of us in our lives, if we look to our past, we've all tried to do it our own way, have we not? There's been a time in our life where we all have tried to put our own, our own desires, our own things, and we've tried to fill the place of God in our life. And I like to kind of think of it like this. It's like if you'd go home and uh, you, you would want, you'd say, hey, I, you know, honey, I want to go, go home and I want to watch a movie this afternoon. But instead of putting a DVD in your DVD player, you'd put a slice of bologna in there. That wouldn't work, and you'd end up with a mess, right? That's what happens when we put other things in the place of God. It doesn't work, and we end up with a mess. And so we recognize that there's sin in our life. We recognize that we've gone the wrong way. We've recognized that we're putting things in the wrong places. The second one, which we're going to talk about this morning, is remorse. Remorse. Have you ever had that feeling? How many of you have ever uh, gotten a traffic ticket before? Raise your hand if you've ever gotten a traffic ticket. Some of you perfect people are just too perfect. Uh, I remember being pulled over once, uh, and I had forgotten to renew my license plate registration. Because, I mean, pastors never drive over the speed limit, right? And so I remember I was pulled over, and I remember the state trooper, she handed me the ticket, and I looked at it, and I remember that feeling. That was the first ticket I had ever gotten. And I remember that feeling, and I thought, oh, man, this is a price that I'm just not really sure that I really want to pay for something that I didn't do. And, I, and when you think of remorse, to, be, to, to understand the price when we think of our relationship with God, to understand the price of our sin and to be sorry, to feel remorse, to feel sorrow, is a good thing because it helps us to move forward in our relationship with God. The third is repentance. 
repentance. I remember when I was in high school, uh, my dad had bought a brand new truck. And um, if you know anything about my dad, you know, he's, he's just really intense and, and he's just 150% all the time. And, and he said, all right, hey, let's go out into the woods and, and let's see if we can get my truck stuck. All right. So we, uh, we went out into the woods and we're driving down this logging road and, and he takes the path even less traveled and he goes all the way out and he's into the woods and sure enough, we are all the way up to the axle in mud and I'm out there and I'm pushing this, I'm trying to push this truck and we're trying to, you know, and, and we realize, oh no, and he realized at that moment that he had gone too far and that he needed to go back. And like our relationship with God, we at times in our life, if we've gone too far and we've allowed sin to take us too far, there's a point in our life where we realize it and we need to be able to turn back. We need the help from God to get us out of the mud, get us back on the path that he has for us. The fourth one is regeneration. And each of these coincides. So we're talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, recognition. Blessed are those who mourn, remorse. Blessed are the meek, repentance, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The fourth is regeneration. You know, I, I think so often, you know, in our, in our modern churches, I think we fail to preach real transformation. And we fail to really push people and, and push other, you know, fellow brothers and sisters to a point where there's real transformation happening in our life. So many Christians are so content with slowly growing spiritually mature that we never actually have transformation happening in our life. So how, so how important it is for us to have this regeneration, to have the hunger and the thirst for righteousness a desire for God that is forged in the crucible of transformation of our spiritual lives from the inside out. Something new that, 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 that comes to our life. New life, new birth. And that, these, that, that's the stages. These four R's. We have recognition, remorse, repentance, and regeneration. These begin to outline the first four Beatitudes as we begin to see how Jesus was laying them out and how he was beginning to tell a story about how we are and our lives could look like his. The beautiful thing about the Beatitudes, as Jesus began to sit down, it says in Matthew 5 that he said when he was set, he sat down, he began to teach the people around him. As you, if you look in the original language that it was spoken in, which was Aramaic, all of these Beatitudes in that language would have had a rhythm and what it would have been a poem. How beautiful is that? That he sat down and he begins through poetry to explain the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we are going to focus on the second of these, which is remorse. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when you look at this at face value, we, we, we find that there's in, we instantly have ways that we can connect. Because as we know, that there is great as we go through great tragedy in our life, we find that God uses those things that are tragic. We find that those things that we have to mourn and these things that, that we have to use remorse for, that, that these things begin to make us stronger as Christians and as people. We even find that, you know, whether Christian or not, maybe even in the secular world, that it's in the darkest places, it's in the most hurtful and painful moments that some of the most beautiful Beautiful things in the world are created. And the struggle with people, you know, especially those who find themselves, you know, lost in the world, you know, addicted to drugs, and, and they're making music, and they're writing lyrics, and they're writing, you know, all sorts, and, and they're creating all sorts of art. 
we find that it's in that the, that they are the most oftentimes the most tormented people making the most beautiful things because it's in that place of of, of torment it's in that place of remorse it's in that place of sorrow that sometimes we can just dig out some of those really beautiful things sometimes sorrow can teach us even more than joy can it there's a poem an unknown author that says this, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word she say, but oh, the things I learned from her. Sorrow walked with me. When we look at those places in our life, and if you'd look back at those places in your life where you felt the most sorrow, the most pain. It's probably in those moments where you had to dig into your relationship with God the most. And so we're able to use those things. And, 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 and there's this little quote, and I want to read it to you. It says, we can make the best of our sorrow by letting sorrow make the best of us. We can make the best of our sorrow by letting sorrow make the best of us. And as much truth as this holds, I believe that Jesus is painting an even more beautiful picture beneath the surface here. In Matthew 4, in, in chapter 4 and verse 17, it says this. It says, from the time that Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus begins his ministry as he begins to tell the people and, 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 and preach to them. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus wasn't interested in making our life super comfortable. He wasn't interested in making sure that we had every bit of money we could ever want. He is interested in taking the sin out of our life and replacing it with his righteousness. And so he says, repent, turn from your ways, acknowledge, we, remember we have this, we have recognition, we, we understand that there's sin in our life, well, then we have remorse, where we come and we realize that there is a price that we cannot pay. There's the process of repentance and transformation. Jesus makes us new, he makes us clean. How can we repent if we are not sorry for the sins that we have committed? You hold that ticket. You hold that price, you cannot pay. Sin is a very interesting thing. As you look through Scripture, Jesus begins to talk a lot about how we deal with sin, especially in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The, the Greek word for sin, as we look through our New Testament, which was written in Greek, we see that the Greek word that for sin is the word hamartia. Everybody say hamartia. This means to miss the, miss the mark. It's a, it's a term that, we use, that they would use for people who would uh, shoot bow and arrow, an archer's term, which means you would miss the target. But in our lives, we could, we could use sin to realize that our life is going in the complete wrong direction of where God wants us to. And if we're living a life of sin, then we're living in that place where we are missing the mark that God has placed before us. 
And so as you can see, Jesus looks at sin and he's like, he's, he, what he's trying to communicate is that sin just isn't one or two things that you might do throughout the week. Sin is a lifestyle that you choose to live and an opportunity you take to walk on your own road versus the path that God has set for you. Sin separates us from God. And to be one who mourns, as we look and and we really try to understand what Jesus is saying, to be one who mourns is to detest the sin that kept you bound and long for freedom through Christ. If we once were slaves to sin, then we know the power it has on our lives. There, there's, there, you, you could try, on your, try as you might, but on your own, you cannot overcome the power of sin. You might even know that it's there. You might even know that there's something going on, but until you take that opportunity to say, God, I know that there's, some, I know that there's a price that I cannot pay. Until you take the step to say, God, I'm repenting. God, transform my life. Then that sin will still make a home in your life. You'll struggle day in, day out. When we feel sorrow for the sin in our life, it continues the process of making things right. Do you remember? So there's a really interesting story in the New Testament. Jesus uh, is on trial uh, for being the Messiah, and there's this whole crazy scandal that's that's unfolding and there's this mock trial and and there's people that are lying about who he is and and so they're going to take him and they're going to imprison him and and they'd like to kill him and there's this moment where one of Jesus's closest followers a man by the name of Peter when he's watching what's going on with Jesus from a distance he's seeing all of the things that are happening. And he said, it, the Bible says that he found himself uh, warming himself by a fire, and there was someone around the fire that said, hey, aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Aren't you one of the people who, you know, followed him around and, and helped him do the, you know, miracles? And, and uh, weren't, aren't you that, your, your accent says that you're from. And so Peter says, no, that, I, don't, I don't know him know who that is. He doesn't just do it once, but he does it three different times. And it says that there's a moment that after he denied Jesus, it said that Jesus locked eyes with Peter. And, 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 the, and Scripture says that he said Peter ran away and he wept and was sorrowful. If we want to understand what it means to to, to be fortunate enough to have sorrow for our sins, it's in that moment that we can try to understand the pain of Peter. That for that moment, he looked in the eyes of Jesus, and he knew that even though Jesus was standing right in front of him, that he was separated from him. And I think there's a lot of people in churches every single Sunday morning, they go to church, Jesus is right in front of them, but they've let their own sin separate them. And so it's so important for us to have this knowledge and to remember that, for every, that every time we choose to separate ourselves from God, that there's an opportunity that we have, and there's a process that Jesus lays out in Matthew 5 that we can get back on the path that he has for us. That's the good news, is that we don't, we don't stay sorry for our sin, that we take the steps to make it right, and we take the steps 
to make us whole and transformed in the eyes of God. Isaiah 59, you'll turn there. Isaiah 59. As we look and as we sang this morning, you know, those, that, that, that song that said, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. You know, when I think about this scripture and I think about Isaiah 59, I, I think about that because there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that can, there's no price that Jesus can't pay. There's no ticket big enough that he can't pay for us. And in Isaiah 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But here's what it said. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Even though our lives have moved us in the direction our own selfishness, our own sin, our own iniquities. The hand of the Lord saves. The Holy Spirit is there to help. We have assurance that you cannot fall too far from the saving hand of God. We are constantly reminded of the grace that God gives us. And in Matthew chapter number 21, there's a really interesting way that we can put this scripture into practice. Matthew 21 you can either turn there or you can see the 20-foot wide Bible behind me. Matthew 21. This is a parable that Jesus told. And uh, it's, we, we call it the parable of the tenants. He said, here another parable. This is verse 33. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And went to another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. He's beginning to paint a picture of the whole human race up to this point. Verse 39, it says, And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes. What will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He'll put those wretches to a miserable death and let, let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord is doing. And it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now, to me, when you just look at that and you just read it, you're like, I don't like either of those options. 
I don't like falling and being broken into pieces or being crushed by this stone. But what Jesus is saying in this moment is he's saying the person who is remorseful, the person who understands that it was our sin that killed Jesus, the one who trips and falls and shows remorse for the things that they've done will be broken into pieces and laid before God. It's in that moment and it's in that place that we're knit and fixed back together. The only way we can come to God is broken. We don't come to God, shoulders held high, God, look what I've done. We come to God broken, as the scripture says, broke with a broken and a contrite heart. It says that that attitude, that place of remorse and sorrow is a place that it said, a broken and a contrite heart, I will not deny. We come to God knowing that our sin cost him everything. Knowing that our sin was what killed his very son. And when we come and we fall before his throne, we're broken. He takes us and he puts us back together. So, when we refuse to humble ourselves, we become crushed by the very weight of our own sin. We have two choices. We can either humble ourselves, allow ourselves to be broken before God, or we can allow the very sin that kept us from God to crush us. We take this opportunity every week to come into a church to worship, to allow ourselves to be broken before God. This isn't just something we do once when we, you know, give our life to Christ when we're six or seven, eight years old, or you're in your, a teenager, or you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s. It isn't just a one-time thing. It's something that we do continually in our life. Where we, we, we do our best as, as church leaders to give opportunities for all of us to come together to throw our lives before God and to be broken before him so that he can put us back together. That's the place where we need to be. And it's in that place that we will fulfill the second half of this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think when, you know, when we think about comfort, you know, we want to think about, you know, being there for someone. And, and, and all of us that have experienced loss in our life, we, we've maybe all had someone that has come into our life and has been a real help or has been a real encouragement or has maybe just been a shoulder to cry on or someone that's just there to talk to. And I think sometimes we, 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 we begin to think about that, but the reality is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, the scripture says that he sent to us the Holy Spirit, which we call the Comforter. Everybody say the Comforter. Now, the, the, the Greek word for Comforter, in, as we look in the New Testament, is paraclete. And we can see three clear usages of that word as, as comforter as we dive into what this really means. The first is judicial. Judicial. We talked about having a ticket that you can't pay. 
but we have a witness that goes into the courtroom on our behalf. The Holy Spirit comes, and he witnesses for us before the judge. You might be holding a ticket that you can't pay, but we have a witness that goes before a judge for us. How marvelous is that? The Holy Spirit, our comforter. The second one is military. One who goes alongside to give assistance in a difficult situation. When your sin has surrounded you, he's your reinforcement. Think about that. Think about being hemmed in on all sides by your own sin. You've done it all to yourself, and all of a sudden, here comes the reinforcement. And he gets you out of there. You know, it's like, have you seen those, those movies about war? I, I'm, I love war movies. It's like when you, they have people that have been, you know, exhausted. They've been fighting for days, and they're holding off, and there's, they're completely surrounded. Reinforcements come in, and they, you know, they, they kill all the other enemy, and they take everybody home, and everybody's just, you know, left there kind of rugged and dazed, and they're like, wow, I can't believe you were there to help us. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And the last one is this. Last way. He helps us. It's educational. Scripture says that he's the one who guides us in all truth. So we take this, uh, we, we, we go from this place of being remorseful for our sin, that we take that step to be broken before God. The Holy Spirit comes in as our comforter, and he steps in, and he goes before the judge. He's our reinforcement, and he helps us understand how we can live a life where we don't continually have to repeat the cycle of sin. How wonderful is that? As Christians, we have an opportunity. We have opportunities every day to allow ourselves to be separated from God, even if it's for a brief moment. And, and I think what's most important for us to understand is that it, it's, it's not in our own willpower, it's not in our own strength, but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able, able to overcome the temptation that's in our life. The sin that we have is too much to bear. A few weeks ago, uh, I went on a hunting trip to Colorado, and um, we were hunting elk, and, and unfortunately, we, we, didn't, we didn't shoot any elk, but uh, we were hiking in the mountains, and, and we camped at 11,000 feet. Which is, if you've ever been, you know, to call, you've ever been to, you know, a place where the higher elevations, and and we're lowlanders around here. We're, they call us flatlanders, and and as you know, and I I should have done a better job getting myself into shape. Um, as you can see, it didn't take. And so, we, we we hunted, but we backpacked in all of our stuff in our camp. We backpacked it in four miles at eleven thousand feet. And my pack weighed over 80 pounds. And I walked about two and a half miles. And, and I'm ashamed to say that all of a sudden, the woods and the mountains around me began to close in. And I began to only see a very small path in front of me. And my vision began to just close down really tight. And I knew that I had to sit down. And so I remember sitting down on a log and my dad looked back at, looked back at me and he said, Aaron, you don't look so good. I said, I don't feel very good. And my older brother came up and 
he said, well, I'm going to take my pack up here and I'm going to walk up another mile and I'm going to set mine down. I'm going to go look for a, a place to camp. You, you guys just wait here. You can take a nice rest. And so he puts his stuff down and he comes all the way back about a half an hour later and I'm still sitting there and I'm just drenched in sweat and trying to take in these beautiful mountains and trying to suck some oxygen while I can. And, and he looks at me and he goes, he said, Aaron, let me take your pack. If you have a brother, you know that that's a trap. <laughs> you know that there's, there's an ulterior motive and that he's going to hold it over your head for the rest of your life. But I knew, and I said, no, I'm good, I got it. And I stood up, and I sat right back down. I just couldn't do it. it I, I, I literally couldn't do it. And he just looks, and he just begins to unbuckle my, the clips on my pack, and he, he takes it, and it was quite a bit heavier than his pack, and he said, what do you have in here? He puts it on his back, and I walked behind him as he walked up the mountain and walked to our camping spot. And... I looked at my brother in that moment in a way that I've never looked at him before because I realized in that moment that that's exactly what happens when we give our sin to God. Because here's the thing, there's, when we reach a certain point in our life where we've tried to do it on our own, but we realize that we can't we realize the weight of sin is going to crush us if we don't give it up to God. And the beauty of Jesus Christ is that he doesn't hold it over our heads. He doesn't make us feel stupid. He doesn't make us suffer. He just comes into our life as we begin to, as, as we have this remorse and we know that there's sin in our life, he comes to our life and he just comes up and he unclips the pack ever so silently. He puts it on his back. He stands before the judge for us. He reinforces us when we're surrounded by sin and then he helps equip us to make sure that our life continues to move in that direction. I ended up making it to camp and having a great week. It was only because my brother took that weight. And I think all of us, if we look at our life, we can understand and realize that if we give up the weight of our sin, that we'll arrive at God's intended destination for our life. We won't have separation from him if we do, it'll be but for a brief moment. We know that if we come before God and we fall and we're broken, we'll be put back together. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning that we would grow in that understanding and that knowledge that we can't do it on our own, that the price of sin is too much to pay, and that the Holy Spirit is there waiting to take that from us. Holy Spirit, I ask that as you're in this place, that you would do just that. God, I believe, and as I prayed earlier this week, I believe that there are people here that you're carrying around a weight that you just no longer have the strength to bear. 
The Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and he wants to take that from you. Sure, that means we lay down our pride. It means we lay down our own selfish ambitions. It means that we replace our broken life for his perfect one. God, give us the strength and the courage to do that. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.